Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss the science that confirms scripture. I'm Trey, your host, and I have with me today Dr. Frank Sherwin, ICR research scientist and zoologist. We're glad to have you today. Always good to be here. Excellent. Well, uh, Dr. Sherwin, uh, we are talking today about something that, you know, we all kind of hear about as, as a kid and, you know, we learn that about bats or whatever, and then it just kind of lives in our brain for a long time, but we don't ever really think about it after that. Uh, and that is echolocation. Um, so, uh, I'd like to ask you, what is echolocation? Well, echolocation is sound produced by animals, mainly bats, but not all bats, and all toothed whales and some other mammals produce this, this sound echolocation. Now, it's done by what we call sonar as opposed to radar. Sonar is called the, uh, the sound navigation and ranging, whereas radar is really electromagnetic uh, uh, pulses. Okay. And so it's not really radar that these animals produce. It's more specific to call it sonar. Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, that sounds really cool and very, uh, like a, quite a unique feature for some of these animals to have. Uh, how does, how does it work though? So it, so it's sonar, but how does that work in the real world? Well, as these animals, uh, for example, the toothed whales or the bats are navigating and looking, for example, for food or trying trying to avoid any kind of obstacles. My favorite pastimes. <laughs> yes, that's it. Uh, over a hundred, excuse me, over a thousand species echolocate. And what they do is to, for example, my favorite is are the bats. Mm -hmm. And bats send out these ultrasonic pulses. Sometimes we can hear them as clicks that they form and send out by way of their mouth or their nose. And it goes out and it strikes an object, whether it's a tree or whether it's something as small as a mosquito. Mm. And then these ultrasonic pulses are reflected back to the formidable ears of the bat. And the ears obviously pick up these reflection of the sound waves, the sonar waves, and then it goes through the middle ear to the brain and is processed. And then what the bat does is to make in-course, in-flight adjustments. Now this sounds kind of straightforward, but it's done at a very, very fast rate. And for example, when a bat is out there, it might send out to about 10 clicks per second. And that's just kind of a general search to see what's out there. But if it picks up a small insect, which is a hot lunch, mm -hmm. then it will increase its pulsing by a factor of 10. And all of this ha goes on in a fraction of a second, sending out the pulses. The pulses are reflected back. And this is something that is so amazing from a creationist point of view. Because in the inner ear of the bat, they have small, very tiny muscles. You would think that a bat would deafen itself as it would send out these high-frequency pulses, the ears would pick it up, mm -hmm. and it would be deafened, and right. it would be counterproductive. So the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His infinite wisdom, has designed the ears of the bat to close by way of these muscles that contract incredibly swiftly. And so they contract, they close the ears, the bat is not deafened, and then the ears open up again, all within a fraction of a second, they open up again to take in the returning pulses. And so it's very, very rapid open and closing of the inner ear. And as the bat at the same time is sending out specific frequencies 
of the sonar. And all of this is going on while the bat is making these adjustments mm -hmm. uh, of its wings, and the wings are an amazing structure on the bat. And they can make very, very subtle but very important uh, adjustments on their wings and can catch something as small as a mosquito on the wing, devouring it. Wow. As a matter of fact, right here in the great state of Texas, they have what's called the Bracken Cave Reserve. Now, people go down to the uh, hill country region here in Texas to look at the Bracken Cave Preserve and watch the release of approximately 15 million Mexican free-tailed bats. So they that's leave, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And they leave the Bracken Cave Preserve and they are looking for food. Mm -hmm. The food that they really like is a type of moth. And the moth is called the corn earworm moth. And of course, other pests as well. And so these 15 million Mexican free-tailed bats are out there feeding for a few hours, not all night, but for right. a few hours, picking up these corn earworm moths and other pests to the tune of over a hundred tons of insects every single night. So That's, we can see wow. that this is very important from an agricultural point of view. Mm -hmm. Now, how do the bats do it? The answer is echolocation. Not only are they able to pick up these small moths and eat on the wing, but the bats are able to avoid each other as well. Right. I was just actually thinking about like, how do, how do uh, with all of the echolocation sounds going on at once, how do they even differentiate? That sounds like it would be very confusing, but I guess they've been designed in such a way. They've been designed in such a way. As a matter of fact, uh, researchers, zoologists, specifically mammologists, those who study mammals like bats, still don't have the complete picture, if I can use that word, of bat sonar, how mm -hmm. they send out the sonar, and then also how they receive it as well, specifically when it comes to the inner ear. It's extremely, extremely complex. Yes, it, it, it sounds like it. Well, uh, so that's that's the the bat. So that's the the stereotypical creature that, that we think of mm -hmm. when we think of echolocation, right? Yeah. Um, do all creatures use echolocation in the same way? Is it all a sound going out and then hitting the ear? Uh, especially for, I'm thinking like underwater animals that may use echolocation. Good question. Like uh, echolocation in whales is very, very effective. For example, totally blind sperm whales have been found with a stomach full of food. Well, if they're totally blind, how do they get all that food? Right. The answer is echolocation. So the whales produce uh, clicks that you can hear underwater, okay. these series of clicks, uh, while the blowhole is closed. And the clicks are focused into a narrow beam by a structure in the, in the skull called the melon. Now, the melon is full of oil, a kind of uh, sebaceous or fatty material, but it helps to guide and direct and put into a specific direction these clicks that the whale produces. Mm -hmm. Now, underwater, it's a very high-frequency pulse, somewhere around 220,000 hertz, wow. which are cycles per second. We yeah. call them hertz. The returning echoes are then received through, of all things, the lower jaw, the mandible. The sound that is coming back to the whale strikes the lower jaw and sends the impulse to the inner ear where it is processed in the whale's brain in a way that's still not completely known yet. Still lots of research to be done in that area. But toothed whales are very, very successful in accomplishing what they do. They use the, the pulsing in such a way that they can 
find out the shape, the size, the direction, the speed mm -hmm. of whatever it is that's out there. They're very able to accomplish this. And it all points to the creative design and organization of these whales and the bats for that matter. Right. Creation is the foundation, not some kind of blind, so to speak, evolutionary process. No pun intended, yeah. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, okay, so you mentioned sonar at the beginning, and I know that we have uh, man-made sonar devices. Mm -hmm. How do how do the two compare? I imagine that like man-made sonar is not quite as sophisticated, not quite as powerful, but do they use pretty much the same mechanism? Yeah, it's hard to say because I think a lot of that by the U.S. Navy, for example, is classified. So mm -hmm. they're not going to go into extreme detail of how they do it. But I can guarantee that they use both uh, toothed whales and bats as a way of copying nature to see what uh, the Navy can do. Right. Because what better way than to copy what God has precisely designed in the beginning just thousands of years ago. But also there's uh, something that is kind of disturbing in a way, and that is the sonar is really heavy, very high-pitched, and, and very strong from these, for example, uh, Navy submarines. As it turns out, the sonar can damage and even kill some of these aquatic mammals wow. because the sonar is so effective. And so they, they have to be very careful how they use it. That, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and we would, of course, expect man to you know, look at what we see in God's created world, and we're like, hey, that works really well. Maybe we can copy that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've talked about bats. We've talked about toothed whales. Are there any other types of creatures that use echolocation? Well, there's other smaller mammals that do as well, but not as effectively as the bats and the toothed okay. whales. Those are both exhibit A when it comes to echolocation. You know, it's kind of interesting that the evolutionary community really has no idea how something like this evolved. And I, I don't blame them because it has creation written all over this process of echolocation mm -hmm. from the point of putting out those clicks, which is not well understood, to receiving the return of the clicks and then interpreting that. And all the while, as I'd mentioned earlier about the bat able to send out clicks, receive them, and those tiny muscles in the inner ear opening and closing very, very mm -hmm. quickly so the bat doesn't deafen itself. And so evolutionists have long been divided about how bats develop their sonar. And some say that uh, the advanced location, echolocation, evolved over only once. Well, that's not an explanation. That's simply saying, well, it evolved once. It happened. And, yeah, it happened. <laughs> it passed it on there. But that doesn't give you any kind of empirical evidence as to how this process evolved through time and chance and natural processes. And so they're, they're kind of stymied about that. And I'm not criticizing them, but they, they have no clear answer as to how echolocation could have come about. Others uh, say, well, it was through convergent evolution. Well, again, just to appeal to convergent evolution is not an explanation. There's no science behind that, except to say, well, you know, wave of the hand, it's convergent evolution. And uh, the former science writer, Tom Bethel, who is not a creationist, but he wrote quite a bit about uh, science and science stories, had a whole chapter in his book called House of Cards, where he addresses this idea of convergent evolution and shows how hollow it is. Well, any other uh, interesting facts or tidbits on this topic? 
It's interesting that not all bats echolocate. There's a large group of bats that don't echolocate, and those are the fruit bats. Mm -hmm. They don't need the process of echolocation to slice and dice into magnos and papayas and, mm -hmm. and, and those other kinds of uh, fruits there. Because they're not moving, hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've got a whole different set of problems if they're moving. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. So for all of our viewers and listeners, uh, can you just like summarize echolocation and like how, how awesome it is that it points to, you know, our creator? Well, I call echolocation God's sonar because right from the get go, right from the very beginning, we see that how exquisitely designed echolocation is, whether it's a toothed whale underwater or a bat that's, uh, that's navigating through a forest or whatever else to find something as tiny as a mosquito. This idea of echolocation is so exquisitely uh, painfully designed uh, from the very beginning, and not only to send out specific frequencies of uh, high-frequency sonar pulses, but also to receive and interpret those mm -hmm. pulses at, at such the a same speed. Time. Yeah. yeah, and and the the key is such a high speed, yeah. incredibly high speed. There's something else that's very interesting about echolocation, and that is we have species of moths, terrestrial uh, insects, moths, that have the ability to uh, pick up the bat sonar. Wow. So bats are out there. They're flying around. They're looking for moths to eat. Uh, the hawk moth is one example. The hawk moth has two different kinds of cells on either side of its abdomen. One cell is called the A1 cell. The second cell is called the... A2 cell. A2. See how easy biology I was going to say B2, but then I was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. And so the second cell is the A2 cell. Now, the A1 cell is designed to pick up just the general search sonar of the bat that's out there looking for a hot lunch. Right. And so if the bat sonar, the general sweep sonar being sent out by the bat, strikes the side of the hawk moth, it will initiate that A1 cell, that's a nerve cell. And so it sends what we call an action potential and impulse up to the brain of the hawk moth. What does it tell the hawk moth? Get There's, out of there. Somebody's out there looking for you. So the hawk wow. moth it will go ahead and turn and, and fly in an opposite direction from where these impulses are coming from. Some of the time it's able to evade the bat. However, other times, if the bat picks up this hawk moth and its general search sonar, it will increase its impulses by a factor of 10 mm -hmm. and it will begin to home in on that hawk moth. Those increased frequency pulses will cause the A2 cell to undergo an action potential, that is an impulse, sending a message to the brain of the hawk moth saying, you do something quickly, you're about to die. That's basically what wow. the message is. And so the hawk moth will do one of two things. It will either dive into the ground, and the bat cannot follow because there's too much background there, right. or the hawk moth will do a spiral turning movement up straight up in the air, which will cause the bat to uh, overfly the hawk moth. Wow. So one of those two things might happen and give the hawk moth about maybe a 50-50, some would say 80%... Uh, chance to evade capture and therefore being eaten. So that's kind of interesting yeah. that uh, the hawk moth is able to do that. And there are other types of insects that are able to evade the, the sonar of the bat as well. Some types of insects will send out a very high-pitched scream, as it were, that we can't sense, but it, the bat can pick up 
and it messes up their reception ability. That's like jam, jamming, jamming their application. Wow, it's yeah. biological jamming, uh, electronic countermeasure on the insect scale. And we mimic that ourselves with our technology. So <laughs> there it. you go. Yeah, and so there's more uh, biomimicry there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's super interesting. Uh, again, it is it is a topic that you know I learned about in I don't know sixth grade, right? And then I never think about it again. But it's interesting to bring it back up and learn just how all of this really does point to the irreducible complexity and just how awesome the design uh, of these creatures is. So, so one of the things I'd like to conclude is mm -hmm. that when we see relationships like this in nature, the creationist gives glory to the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, right. not the creation, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. And so we want to give glory and credit to where glory and credit is due, and that is from the very mind of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who created all this just thousands of years ago. Absolutely. Well, that is a wonderful conclusion. So thank you so much, Dr. Sherwin, for sharing your time and wisdom with us. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much to our viewers and listeners for joining us. You can find this podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, share with your friends and family. We'd love to get this truth out to more people. And I'm Trey, and we'll see you next time on The Creation Podcast. <laughs>